Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Here are your hosts, Dave Adamson and Ashley Bohens. G'day everyone, welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. My name is Dave, I am your host, and today I am flying completely solo in the Think Orange bunker. Nobody is in here, it's like a big orange shell, and I'm just sitting at a little table all by myself. The only company I have is our producer, Kevin Jennings Sr. K-Daddy is pushing his little face up against the portal window right now. I don't know if he can hear me, but I hope he can because I don't want to be alone. Kevin, can you hear me? I got you, buddy. All right, there we go. There we have it, folks. We, I can keep going on with the show. Hey, this is episode 75 of the Think Orange podcast. We are so glad that you are listening to us. Today's episode is all about how hospitality can transform your leadership, and we have some great content for you. We're going to be hearing a clip from the Orange founder, Reggie Joyner himself. He has got some incredible content. It's actually called Sometimes It Takes a Party, and i got to admit, Kevin Jennings Sr., I wish there was a party going on right here, but nobody's with me, so I'm just going to have a party on my own. Is that all right with you? Sure. (laughs) His enthusiasm just blows me away. Hey, I do want a a full confession here. There is another little window that I can see out. We have a studio audience today, a studio audience of one. Uh, It's my nephew, Dylan, who came all the way from Australia. I don't know if he can hear me at all. Maybe if he just taps his little hand on on the uh, little window that he's got. Hang on, let's see if he can... Okay, he can hear me. Beautiful. Hey, Dylan, how you doing? He's our studio audience for today. Hey, so there is a little bit of a party going on in here. So not only are we going to hear from Reggie, we are actually also going to hear from a guy named Terry A. Smith. Ashley and I got the opportunity to interview him just a little while ago. Now, Terry has served as lead pastor of the Life Christian Church for 27 years. Years. That is absolutely incredible. Now, the Life Christian Church is a non denominational faith community with campuses in West Orange and Paramus. Now, you don't know where West Orange and Paramus is. That's in New Jersey. Pretty fitting, actually, that we have somebody from West Orange on the Think Orange podcast. Uh, what do you think, Kevin Jennings Sr.? Pretty coincidental. Amazing. Yes, it is amazing. And just like Kevin Jennings Sr., the Life Christian Church is known for its vibrant, diverse leadership culture with people from more than 132 distinct communities in the New York City metro area who all come together on Sundays and get together and have church together. It's absolutely fantastic. Terry is also the co-founder of the New York City Leadership Center. He speaks on a variety of issues. And I got to tell you, this interview was absolutely incredible. Incredible. I mean, there were times where Ashley and I were just looking at each other stunned with how wise and insightful this man is. So I absolutely have no doubt that you are going to get so much out of uh, Reggie's clip and then the interview we did with Terry. Now, before I get into any of that, I just want to let you know that today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Orange Conference 2019. That's right, 2019. We're already looking into the future. Orange Conference, if you don't know, is a three-day conference in Atlanta, Georgia for your entire family ministry team. And this year, we'll be discovering how you can make a difference and maximize your impact on the next generation by making it personal. That's right. Make it personal is going to be our theme. And there's a reason for that. You know what, Kevin Jennings Sr.? I don't know if you can hear me still, but there's a reason why some volunteers have a deeper commitment. Did you know that? Really? 
Yes, really. And there is a reason why parents engage on a more practical level. There's a reason why some ministries make a greater impact. Some churches have wider influence and some leaders leave a lasting mark. That is because they take it personal. Now, I don't want to get all churchy up in here, Kevin Jennings Sr., but Jesus took it personal. And things changed when Jesus, for example, called Zacchaeus by name, when he addressed the Samaritan woman's past. Can I get an amen? Amen. Things changed when Jesus spent time in Mary and Martha's home. Things changed when he invited each individual disciple to follow him and when he intercepted Saul on the road to Damascus. See, Jesus made a difference, and that's what Orange Conference 2019 is all about. You will learn how to make your ministry personal in the lives of the next generation. All you need to do is register at theorangeconference.com, theorangeconference.com. Now, here's the deal, folks. I know you all want to get into the content today, but before we do, I've got this to say. Because I am all alone today and there's no you know, supervisors looking over me or something, I'm going to do something that maybe I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to give away one ticket to next year's Orange Conference in Atlanta. No, you know what? Forget that. I'm going to give away... Two tickets to the 2019 Orange Conference. You know how you're going to win, Kevin Jennings Sr.? Two tickets? You're going to win two tickets. You know all you have to do. Here's what you have to do. You need to get on Instagram right now and anybody who in the next week follows me on Instagram at Aussie Dave, A-U-S-S-I-E Dave, at Aussie Dave, if you follow me and on any of my posts, comment with the words... The Orange Conference, you will win. I'll pick somebody at random who will win two tickets to the 2019 Orange Conference. Isn't that exciting, Kevin Jennings Sr.? Two tickets. Two tickets to the 2019 Orange Conference just by going to Instagram, following at Aussie Dave, and then leaving a comment on any of my posts that says the Orange Conference. I will pick one random person who will win two tickets for themselves. I hope that doesn't get me fired. If it does... This is my last episode and I'll do whatever I want to do anyway. Hey, you know what? While you go and do that, uh, I'm just going to throw straight over to our content from today. I'm sure you are absolutely going to love it. Break a pen and notebook out because you're going to want to take some notes. Check this out. When, when we moved to Mobile, Alabama years and years ago, my next door neighbor was a man named Tom. And um, Tom evidently knew that we were coming to town and he had investigated, done some kind of background search on us. And so when we pulled into the driveway with the moving van, Tom was waiting. He was my next door neighbor. He was by the driveway. And when I got out of the car, uh, Tom said to me, he said, I've heard you're the new pastor in town. He said, can we just call you the Rev? <laughs> and um, which was awkward because I'm very introverted. And, um, and then he said, no, no, the more I think about it, you look a lot like the Pope, so we're going to make you the community Pope. You have the same hairline. And, and so for the rest of my time in Mobile, Alabama, Tom referred to me as, as the Pope. And we were extremely different people. We were as different as two people could be. Tom was a liberal Catholic. I was a conservative evangelical. Um, Tom was very, very vocal and loud as an extrovert, and I'm very, very um, reserved and introverted. Um, he had three boys in college. I had um, three, four children, actually, under the age of seven. He golfed a lot. 
I, I, I was a Christian. Um, <laughs> and he hosted a lot of parties. I mean, he was our next door neighbor, hosted a lot of parties. And I, I, I'm kind of anti-party. I, I don't know how to, how to explain that, but I kind of grew up that way. But the problem with Tom was there was just no way to hide from him. I, I would go off out of town and he would know I was gone for a few days and he would know where I was. He would figure out that I was going to our denominational convention and when I would pull into the driveway, he would be standing there. He somehow knew. I would pull in, he would be standing right there. I would get out of the car and he'd been doing research on the policies and things that the denomination had passed and he would always confront me, you know, in a, in a gentle kind of way. He would say, hey, 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 why... Why are you guys against Disney? Or, or why are you guys against Masons? Or why are you guys against women? And, and I found myself being in these awkward moments trying to explain to this friend of mine, you know, what our denomination was doing and what they were trying to do and trying to say. And, and then there was this day. There was this day I showed up, you know, at the house on a Friday afternoon. It was Good Friday. And Tom was waiting for me, and he said to me, hey, we're going to have a family Easter party, and we would love for you and your family to come. And I'm thinking, well, Tom, you know I'm a pastor. You know i got to go to church on Sunday. I can't come to the Easter party. And I said, besides, you've got three college-age sons. How are you going to get them to come all the way back for an Easter party? He said, oh, that's simple. He said, we have an Easter tradition. He said, you know, our entire life, we've had this thing that we do. When they were young children, we would put nickels and dimes in these plastic eggs all over the yard. When they were elementary age, we would put $1 bills and $5 bills in the Easter eggs, put them all over the yard. When they were teenagers, it was $5 and $10 bills. Now it's $20, $50, and $100 bills. This will be a $1,000 Easter party, Easter egg hunt, and you should watch my sons. They kill each other going after these eggs. And so, sure enough, Sunday afternoon, we pull into the driveway, and his three sons are lined up single file. They're holding Easter baskets. Their shirts, their shirts are torn and muddy. You know, one guy's got a bloody gash along his head. The other one's got a bloody nose. They've been Easter egg hunting. And I get out of the car with my young family, and um, one of his boys says, hey, we took all of our eggs after we did our Easter egg hunt. We put nickels and dimes in and put them all over your yard for your kids. I mean, it was just Tom and his family. And, and then there was that day I pulled in the driveway and Tom said, hey, 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 what are you doing like in three weeks from now on a Friday night? I'm like, what, what do you mean? He said, do you ever pray at parties? I said, well, what do you have in mind, Tom? He said, well, my oldest son is graduating from college, and I want you to pray for him at our graduation party. And so I'm like, okay, I can do that. I mean, I can do that. That's not a problem. So I, you know, mentally put it on the calendar and, and forget about it. And I'm sitting in my kitchen this Saturday of the party, and all of a sudden this box truck pulls up in the front, and um, they start unloading kegs of beer and take him into the house. Now, now here's a sidebar. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know where you are with the drinking issue. I have friends who drink. I have family who drink. I don't drink. And if somehow I feel like to this crowd, I have to apologize for not drinking. I don't know why I think that way. But, but for me at that moment in time, 
it felt awkward. I mean, I, I was sitting in the kitchen and I remember saying to Debbie, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to pray at a beer party. How do you do that? And I remember she said something like, well, just do what Jesus always did at the parties he went to. And I thought, well, if I'd wanted to marry the Holy Spirit, I would have asked him. So anyway, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. It felt awkward. And, um, and I walked over there that afternoon and it was just, it just felt like I didn't fit. And it, I, can remember, I can remember the moment. And he says, the Pope is here. He's going to pray. And so I prayed. And I finished praying and I looked up and Tom was crying. And then he said to me, he said, I want you to hang around tonight. Because I just feel like we need to get to know each other. And I just feel like God brought you into this neighborhood to be my neighbor. I don't know how to explain this. And I don't know how to prove it. There's no statistical thing I can say to you. But I absolutely believe that the day I went to a party at Tom's house, our relationship fundamentally changed. Because after that, the questions were different. He talked to me about things he didn't talk to me before about. After that, he would call me up and he would say, hey, my son just broke up with his girlfriend. Can you meet with him and talk with him about life and marriage and when his mother went into the hospital and found out she got cancer, he called me on the phone and said, hey, can you meet with me and pray with me? It just, it changed. So, what I want you to know tonight is that sometimes it takes a party. Now, the word party may make you as uncomfortable as it makes me sometimes. So, I, I wrote a definition. I know that feels kind of nerdy, but I wrote a definition for a party so I could get us all on the same page for what I think we should understand when it comes to getting in a relationship with each other and what that looks like. So a party is simply this. A party is any effort to celebrate, serve, or enjoy each other in a way that adds value to life. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a reason why I think that Jesus loved parties so much. And he went to parties and he told stories about parties and he compared God's kingdom to a party. If you go into the New Testament, you can find out pretty fast that Jesus seemed to have an attitude that sometimes it takes a party. I mean, the first miracle, right? He turned the water into wine. It was unfermented. He turned the water into wine. It was non-alcoholic. But his mother said, we need more. And the crowd said it was the best of the night. And I think it was just the reason that God was kind of putting that story at the beginning was to remind us all, and this is what I wrote down in my notes, that sometimes it takes a party Sometimes it takes a party to demonstrate that God cares about people who party. And then there's the story of the prodigal son. Remember that the loving father throws this amazing party for his returning son? Why? Because sometimes it takes a party, right? To confirm that we can always be forgiven. Think about this. Jesus invited himself to parties, right? 
He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. He went to the notorious party, right? The notorious party at Matthew's house. He went to so many parties that the Pharisees (laughs) accused him of having a drinking problem. I think Jesus liked parties because Jesus loved people. And the way Jesus interacted with people in the gospel stories implies that sometimes it takes a party to prove people matter more than our opinions. I think Jesus knew that something happens at a party that that can't happen anywhere else. That something happens when you enjoy being with other people and you're comfortable enough to see how others see the world and you feel safe enough to show your true colors. A party, the right kind of party, has the way to open doors and build bridges and deepen relationships. (laughs) It was the Pharisees that didn't like the parties. Um, And as a matter of fact, I, I feel like sometimes It was their opinions, their theology that kept them from seeing people the way Danielle was talking about, seeing people in some distorted kind of way. And they spent most of their life as a Pharisee trying to get on a VIP list in an elite club. And can you imagine how they felt when Jesus came along one day and he told the story or the parable of the wedding feast? And he talked about people that were invited and he described the extravagant party that was set and the table that was in place and then the story takes this twist and turn when all of a sudden he starts describing sending a messenger out to the streets to invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame so that all of a sudden everyone becomes a welcome guest can you imagine if you were the Pharisee who had worked all of your life to live up to that standard to be in the club somehow to be represented as someone who's significant and important and then all of a sudden Jesus changes the rules and says by the way I know you think you're in but we're opening the door now everybody's welcome because sometimes it takes a party to remind us all that everyone is invited to the party you see the thing about this with different nations and different states and different we've got 66 denominations here how can you have 66 denominations I mean how, how can you do that We have 66 different denominations here. But the thing about tonight and the next three days and the representation in this room is that we are all here together to remind each other that we're all invited to the party. Just Jesus used a party to explain the kingdom of God. So he could say, Everybody is invited, and everyone means everyone. That means everyone who is black. That means everyone who is white. That means everyone who is Asian. That means everyone who is Middle Eastern. That means everyone who is Hispanic. That means everyone who is a Dallas Cowboy fan. (coughs) That means everyone who is a New England Patriots fan. That means everyone who drinks Coke. Everyone who drinks Pepsi. Wow, that was weak. Everyone who uses an iPhone. Everyone who uses an Android. Everyone who likes Garth Brooks. Everyone who likes Justin Timberlake. Everyone who likes Whitney Houston. Stop and think about this. This this means, this means... That everybody who voted, whether they voted Democratic or Republican, is invited to the party. This, This one idea changes everything. 
that the creator of the universe is saying to all of us, you are all invited to the party. It's going to be one heaven of a party, and I want you to understand something. (laughs) What would happen if you started acting like everyone is invited to the party? Wouldn't it change the way you treat the people around you? Let's just imagine for a second. Let's just imagine Oprah invites you to one of her parties. I mean, that's a big deal. And let's say you walk into the grocery store and you run into somebody else that you find out is also invited to the party. Does it change how you see them? Does it change how you treat them? We we are living in an important moment in history when we need to start acting like everyone is invited to the party because it would change the way the temperature of this country and the temperature of our communities, it would change the way our culture looks at each other. And if there's any entity that should lead the way in treating everybody like they're invited to the party, it should be us as Christians. Terry, so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Dave and Ashley. Now, before I get going, I just want to call this out. You have a very deep and resonant, vibrant voice. (laughs) Has anybody ever told you that before? Uh, It gets mentioned quite frequently, but usually they say something like that I have a face and a voice for radio. Wow. At least it's not just the voice. (laughs) That, I, I can see this is going to be a great interview just from the sound of your voice. Right? Do, you, do you ever sing any Barry White? Who? Um, <laughs> I can't say that I ever have. Let's just call out the fact that when I said that to you, Ashley's question was who? He, she doesn't know, know who, who Barry, Barry White, White is. is. Who's Barry White? Well, I, I wanted to say who, but in fact, I do have some sense of who Barry White is. That's because, Terry, you and I must be more in the same age bracket. He was a, he's a singer from like the 70s who was known for having a very deep voice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, Terry, uh, so we're talking about your book, Hospitable Leader. I would love to start just by asking, where, what is, explain to us this idea of uh, hospitable leader. Yeah, so uh, a hospitable leader, here, here, here's the technical definition, then I think it'll get more interesting as we get into practicalities, but a hospitable leader, and this is my definition, and it's the basis of this book, yeah. creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. Wow. Oh, wow. Can you repeat that for me, please? A hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. Wow. Wow. That is packed. Yeah. So uh, these environments can be physical, which is typically what people think about when they think about hospitality, and that's a big part of this whole thing. But, mm-hmm. but it, it is as much a spiritual, emotional, attitudinal, communicative environment of welcome, where wow. people... Where people who feel welcomed in, who are invited to the table, are more open to be influenced by one's leadership efforts. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's a super interesting take on leadership. Is this the sort of thing that you're seeing more of, or are you not seeing enough of? 
You know, it's, I, I think there's such polarization in this country in so many ways that on one hand, I think this describes kind of a leadership zeitgeist. It's something that's happening. You're seeing more and more of by people who are spending a lot of time studying the importance of soft leadership skills, et cetera. And then on the other hand, I think we're seeing a more inhospitable leadership, especially in the realm of, of politics and so on. Yeah, yeah. So I see both happening. I see more and more hospitable leadership, people I would describe that way, organizations I would describe that way. And then on the other hand, I, I, I see exactly the opposite. Yeah. I talk a lot about how to create a hospitable leadership culture in an inhospitable world. And I say part of that as a guy who's been leading a church in West Orange, New Jersey, Paramus, New Jersey, New York City metropolitan area for 27 years. And so, you know, New Jersey is not famous for its hospitality. (laughs) True. When people talk about Southern hospitality, they're not talking about the South Bronx or South Jersey and certainly not North (laughs) Jersey. So we, we, our church is very well known for its hospitality, but not just physical space, but creating an environment where all kinds of people feel welcome. We're, we are probably best known for our diversity and um, so this this book comes out of this experience of trying to create a place like that for so many years and and by God's grace having some success at it that's That's awesome so you said that you are known for your diversity has it always been that way because you said you've been there what 27 years has it been that way from the start or is that something you intentionally built it was diverse in a way, and in another way, it wasn't. So there were 54 people who asked me to come and to be the pastor of this uh, little church at that time. And most of them were first-generation immigrants, and most mm. of them were from the West Indies. So in that regard, one might call that diversity, but but there was such a, a majority of that group of people, and they were fantastic and are, many of them are still with me, uh, fantastic people, but over the years, it's grown to be much more diverse in that we do not have a dominant racial group in our church. Oh, wow. that's amazing. Um, and, you know, it's it's amazing, you, you know, in a church family of, you know, a, a few thousand people that there there's not a dominant racial group. This is manifest at every level of leadership in our church, mm. staff, board, elders, and so on. So it's it's pretty cool. And, and this is a whole lot of what I mean when I talk about how hospitable leadership, how do you create an environment where all kinds of different people want to come? And that yeah. also means, you know, Republicans, Democrats, independents, pr- probably pretty equal amount of each. It means uh, people from all kinds of different denominational backgrounds. It means Jewish people who believe in Jesus, lots of mm-hmm. believe in Jesus. It yeah. means diversity, age-wise, socioeconomic, so that's what I mean when I say a hospitable leader creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, just just before we move off the diversity thing, I spent five years living in uh, Madison, New Jersey, which is not too far from where you are. Now, Madison, New Jersey has a little bit of a different diversity structure. Let's just put it that way. Can you explain for the people listening to the podcast, how diverse is the community in West Orange? That, that's a great question because one of the things I, I don't like when I hear people speak about diversity is the condemnation some feel who do not live in very diverse places. Mm. Yeah. 
So we, we have, it, it, it's hard to answer your question though, Dave, and here's why. The, at last, the last time I saw this, we had people attending our church from 186 specifically specific communities or townships or cities in the New York mm-hmm. City metropolitan area. Wow. So West Orange, and I'm sitting right now here in my office on our campus, 13 miles from Times Square to give you a sense of where we're at. West Orange is, is pretty diverse. But a lot of communities around us aren't. Madison would be an example of that. Yeah, yeah. But I think about that, and I think about a family in our church, a guy on our who's been on our board, who attend from Madison, of all things, Dave, and you'd had to have lived there to appreciate this, who is an African uh, mm. managing director of a Wall Street firm. Yeah. So kind of we kind of, though Madison would be a largely white uh, upper middle yeah. class or or upper class uh, socioeconomic town, uh, we're attracting people from Madison. Yeah, wow! The diversity of our church. That's cool. That's really cool. So for those people who are listening and leaning in a little bit right now, and they're wondering, you know, how how this dynamic works in your church, I guess um, my question would be is, what does hospitable leadership? like have to do with Christianity or church or like what, where is the relationship for you? Mm. Well, Jesus is the ultimate hospitable leader and it is mind boggling when you study the gospels through the lens of hospitality. And when you see, as I suggest we should hospitality as a philosophical operating system, Mm -hmm. how much of the ministry of Jesus was accomplished in hospitable settings Mm -hmm and how his mission would be moved forward in these welcoming environments. So yeah. from, from, from the wedding of Cana, where uh, mm-hmm. he first showed his glory and people first believed in him, uh, through his frequent dinner parties with all kinds of people, to mm-hmm. the feeding of the 5,000, mm-hmm. the Last Supper, to his post-resurrection rel- reconciliation breakfast, which he cooked for Peter. Um, mm-hmm. He constantly was in some kind of a hospitable environment. In fact, when he talked about why he came, he, he did it in two ways. He said he came to seek and save the lost, and he came, said he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But when he talked about how he came, the only way he described how he came is like this. He said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And in fact, he did. He was always at, at a dinner party, on his way to a dinner party, on his way home from a dinner party. But... It's not just about hospitality. It's about hospitable leadership. That's the thing that's new about this concept that that no one has ever written about, at least that we're aware of in quite this way. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not just getting people together to have a, have, have a meal or creating some environment of, of welcome, which is good in and of itself. But it's seeing those settings as an opportunity to exercise influence. Mm-hmm. So that people can be moved towards things that are good and beautiful so that the, the mission of an organization can move forward. And, and, and then I would, say, I would say further that in the early New Testament church, this was continued when it was a requirement for church leaders in the, in the early church to be hospitable. Right. I mean, you look at the four or five things that were required of elders and deacons, and being hospitable was one of those key core values of, mm-hmm. of the early Christian church culture. It wasn't optional that you had to be hospitable. 
I love what you said about hospitality is not just about getting people around a table to eat, but it's about hospitable leadership. So what are three or four things or give us three or four examples of what that actually looks like practically? Hmm. Well, let, let me let me give a practical illustration from the life of Jesus. Can I do that? Okay. Because I yeah. think this yeah, yeah. it really well. I'll try to say this quickly. The Last Supper is an incredible metaphor for hospitable leadership. First of all, Jesus paid attention to the physical environment. Luke's gospel goes to quite some length to tell us how Jesus sent Peter and John to prepare the physical space for the yeah. most mm-hmm. important of meetings. They had to find a room large enough. It had to be properly furnished. They had to prepare a meal. There was mm-hmm. a lot involved in the physical space. Secondly, Jesus because of who he was in relationship to the Father, created a spiritual environment. John's gospel speaks about that. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he'd come from God. He knew he was going to God. I talk that about that in terms of one has to be home mm-hmm. with the Father in order to create an environment that feels like home. Thirdly, mm-hmm. it's about um, emotional environment. John's gospel says in one translation that Jesus showed his disciples at that meal the full extent of his love. One of the things a hospitable leader does is they find a way to convey to the people they're leading how much they love them. This has an Mm. academic basis, by the way. Rodney Ferris, for instance, in his marvelous work on organizational love, talks about the the utility, if you please, of a leader finding it within him or herself to show love to their followers. Then he created uh, an attitudinal environment. He wrapped himself in a towel and he served his disciples. He put himself in the position of a servant. The apostle Paul said we should have the same mindset Jesus had, yeah. who, though, though he was the leader, decided that he wanted to be like one of his followers, and in fact, mm-hmm. he wanted to serve them. And then finally, he created a communicative environment, because then, if you look at what Jesus said at the Last Supper and walking from the Last Supper to Gethsemane, which covers like four chapters in John, mm. you look at it from the perspective of a leadership talk, it is amazing. When you've created the kind of environment that he created, you then can speak truth to people and they're more willing to receive it because their hearts are warm. And when people's mm-hmm. hearts are warm, they're more likely to receive what you have to say. So you look at his talk then, he makes new covenant. He g- gets involved in extreme team building exercises, basically tells them, you, you know, we go on retreats and do trust falls. He told them they had to be willing to lay down their lives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he built uh, unity. You know, the passionate prayer, pray for their unity. He uh, told them that he was going to. He, he he he. Hospitable leaders expect results. By the way, yeah. leadership is about mm-hmm. results. And he said, "I chose you, so you go bear fruit, and and I expect you to produce. And I'm going to measure. You know, there were metrics attached to his talk. So that's actually one of the more practical and comprehensive things I think of when someone say, "Well, what does mm-hmm. this look like?" Well, Jesus practiced it in that way. Leaders find way to pay attention to those things. Physical environment, spiritual environment, emotional environment, attitudinal environment, communicative environment. Mm. Well, I don't know, Tara. It sounds like you haven't researched this at all. Uh, it sounds like you're not even very passionate yeah. about it. I'm not passionate at all about this. Dude, that was incredible. It the was. way that you just pulled that apart and dissected that with such clarity. Oh, my gosh. Like... 
like I, you're right. You you talked about it being a lens shift. Like that that what you just did was absolutely incredible. I want to take that the next step further. I know in the book you talk about the five welcomes. Can you explain that? Because I feel like it maybe bounces off what you just shared. Yeah. So um, the book is organized around five welcomes. The first welcome is called home, and this is where I establish the fact that a hospitable leader creates environments, whatever their leadership domain, that that speaks to the hunger that people have for home. And I talk uh-huh. about how that home is where the heart is warm. And when, people, yeah. when people's hearts are warm, they are mm-hmm. more open to whatever it is you're going to say to them. Yeah. The, the second welcome is called strangers. And this is really a huge deal. This is where... This is based on the writer to the Hebrews saying in Hebrews 13, one, keep on loving each other's brothers and sisters. And then he says in Hebrews 13, two, and don't forget to entertain strangers or to be hospitable mm. to strangers because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. Yeah. I talk about the tremendous need we have to expand the diversity of those we influence by seeing an angel in every stranger mm. and, and, um, you know, a stranger is anyone who is strange to you or to whom you seem strange. And we talk about that in terms of race, ethnicity, nation of origin, politics, socioeconomic status, denominational background. We have got to learn to be hospitable to the stranger. And what I've discovered That's is good. that often those people who were strange to me or, or to whom I was strange, that they have become messengers from God or angels. Wow. So that's the second welcome. Before you go into the third welcome, I want you to say that again. A stranger is anyone who... A stranger is anyone who is strange to you in any way or to whom you are strange. Gosh, I love I, that. That is so good. It's so good. I'm, I'm going to tweet that right now. That is so good. That's great. Okay, the third welcome. The third welcome is dreams. And... The idea here is that a hospitable leader is hospitable to people and their dreams. The hospitable leader makes their leadership effort first and foremost about the dreams of their follower. A lot of times leaders, and this is the, the nature of power, and power is not a bad thing as long as it's used properly, but leaders will use their leader power primarily whether intentionally or unintentionally, to promote Mm. their dreams or the dreams of the organization they're leading. Yeah. And so everyone feels like the reason they're there is to move the the leader's mission forward or the organization's mission forward. And that's that's all good and fine. But um, I spent a lot of time around the leadership talk Jesus gave in John chapter 10, where he contrasted good shepherds and bad shepherds. Mm -hmm. And in that leadership talk, and it was a leadership talk, and there's not time to get into the, to it right now, but it was a leadership talk because of the context in which it was happening. He talked about the difference between good shepherds and bad shepherds. And he. this is where he said concerning bad shepherds, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, mm-hmm. but I have come that you can have life in all of its fullness, or as the message says it, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. I believe that good shepherds Good leaders, moral leaders, hospitable leaders are all about helping people's dreams come true, that that a hospitable leader cares more about the dreams of the followers than the followers care about their own dreams. Yeah, and I think wow. that ultimately then, you know, the, the, a leader also is responsible to care about the, the, his dreams or her dreams and the dreams of the organization. Yeah. It's never just about them. 
It's saying, let's dream together. I'm going to get, I, I tell my congregation frequently, I get up every day and I think about how to help your dreams come true. Mm. And I don't hesitate to, to, to ask them to help me and the church's dreams come true as well. And so right. that's the whole thing about dreams. The okay. fourth welcome is communication. And this is just, it's about how do you practice hospitable communication? And particularly, and I think this is really important in today's environment in churches, we have to be able to speak truth to people. Mm -hmm. And a hospitable leader loves people so much that he refuses to do anything but speak truth. And But like Jesus, we wrap the truth in grace. Jesus was full of truth and grace. And yeah. I just talk about how do you create an environment where you can speak even difficult truths, but people's hearts are so warm that mm. they're willing to hear you and you can influence people towards whether it's something that you believe to be true or something yeah. objectively true according to the teachings of Scripture as best we can understand it. That's awesome. And so so we've got home, strangers, dreams, communication, and the last welcome is? Feast. Okay, as in eating. <laughs> well, it's as in, okay, Jesus said, Jesus said, one way he described his leadership sphere was as a feast that a king threw for his son. He said, mm. the, the kingdom is like a wedding feast that it yeah. came through for a son. So part of what I say to leaders is what would it feel like for everyone in your domain to feel like that, that, that you have thrown a feast for them, that that's how your children describe being a teenager in your home, or that's how a stockholder refers to a, 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 a stockholders meeting, or that's how the players on the team think about the coach. I mean, they're not going to say it exactly that like that, but they speak in that language. They, a, a hospitable leader creates an environment that feels like a feast. Well, in the fifth welcome, I come back to this idea that I introduced earlier, and I say, in order for us to throw a feast, we have to live a feast. That's and I talk about how important it is for leaders to practice the discipline of hope, to experience the happiness that comes as a result, and to create an environment, first of all, within themselves of happiness, so mm -hmm. that that happiness is leaking out into the environment. An unhappy leader cannot be a hospitable one. Mm. Wow. So that's what that welcome's about. Love that's it. That's so good. Terry. I love how you broke all of that down. Let me ask you this. What's the risk if a church doesn't adapt or improve their ability to be a hospitable leader? Like, what is at risk? Well, I might say it this way. There end up being a lot of empty seats at the table. Yeah. Every empty seat is a lost opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when we are, when we are, when the way that we approach leadership in the church is about just keeping our base happy, mm -hmm. um, we're not reaching out. We're not. We're not reaching out beyond ourselves to yeah. really be sharing the good news about Jesus with the people who really need it. Yeah. And and churches have just got to be really good at welcoming people in who perhaps haven't felt welcome before, which was a big part of what Jesus did in his ministry. He mm. constantly, he did not vet the people he had dinner with. Mm. He'd have dinner with anybody, anywhere. I don't think that's an exaggeration. There's some great yeah. scholarly work on that. Um, that, that, that. He'd have dinner with anybody, 
anywhere. If you'd have a meal with him, he'd have a meal. Yeah. Of course, this was one of the biggest reasons that he received so much criticism. Now, mm-hmm. now this is important. That didn't mean then that everything was okay because it wasn't because Jesus would try to exercise influence. There's a scholarly work on this uh, by Craig Blomberg called Contagious Holiness, where he talks about how that Jesus just assumed that because of who he was, that his influence would always win the day, that he'd eat with sinners, but that his holiness would be contagious. And Mm. so I think, I think we need to invite everybody but not just so it's I'm okay, you're okay, but we invite everybody so that we can exercise the influence of the gospel and, and hopefully see people's lives change. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, I would imagine you've instilled all of this in your staff at your church. So what does it look like, you know, from preschool kid men to student ministry to young adult and adult ministry? Like how intentional are you in each age group of family ministry? with this? I think I would say, first of all, I would say thank you to Orange. Um, I know that our children's ministry staff, and I believe others, were there just uh, this past uh, spring, I think, again, Mm. and you you guys have been a great influence Mm. on our culture and family ministry. I I would say that that our team works hard to throw a party for these kids every week. And as, as you can imagine from what I've said, it is an incredibly diverse group of teachers and children. And then within the context of this, it's not just about the party. It's mm-hmm. They're very serious about teaching these kids truths that will shape their lives and doing it in a way that's partnered with their parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they just, they're creating an environment where kids just can't hardly wait to get there every week. That's Love so that. good. Hey, Terry, this um, this seems to go so much further than just uh, being willing to serve people in your church. Is, is that fair to say? Yes. And how so? Well, one of the things people will ask me about this concept is, how, does, how is it differentiated from servant leadership? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that I may not be getting at your question and interrupt me if I'm not. No, no, that's exactly kind of what I'm asking. What you're describing seems to me to be so much more than that. So I want you to be really clear about defining that difference. Yes. So I I say that hospitable leadership is a precursor to every other form of leadership. You know, if if you're a leadership guru like I am and my academic background is around organizational leadership and so on, then you know there are lots of theories and proven uh, successful practices of leadership. But every one of those, including the the beautiful uh, truth around servant leadership, is more effective in a welcoming environment. So Jesus is famous for his act of servant leadership when he washed the disciples' feet. But he had created the environment where that could Mm. happen. Yeah, yeah. So we can't serve people who haven't been invited. We can't serve people who haven't been welcomed. They may not receive our attempt to serve them if their heart isn't worn. They may not hear our attempt, hear our attempt to serve them if we're not wrapping truth in grace. Yeah. So this, this hospitable context prepares an environment where all other forms of moral leadership can be exercised more effectively to an ever expanding diversity of people. 
Yeah. Wow, dude, that is so good. Mm-hmm. I love that that idea that it leads to servant is the precursor to. I, I that's incredible. Hey, you said something just at the end there that I have a question about and I'm not sure I know exactly how to word this, so I'm hoping <laughs> you'll give me an umbrella of grace as I ask this question. You know, this idea of welcoming seems to be so uh the opposite of what the average person might experience in the US today. How do you reconcile that? How, how do you, what do you do about that when, when people in your congregation come to you and talk about how the, the, the political landscape that we're in, the cultural landscape that we're in seems to be so opposite to the stuff that you're teaching? Well, I assume you can erase this part if you need to. <laughs> we can. Let me answer it this way. Last week, I was in Washington, Mm D.C., and I was there uh, to speak at a prayer breakfast without going into a lot of detail that that was people primarily with evangelical pastors, uh, business leaders, and and political leaders, whatever exactly Mm -hmm. we mean by evangelical these days, I'm not even sure, but um, I, I would assume I would assume that this beautiful group of people were coming from a fairly conservative background. Now, of course, the climate in Washington D.C. last week was especially difficult. I don't know mm. when this is going to run, but uh, if you want to talk more about that in terms of its context, you can. Yeah. While I was there, I got a call from the chief of staff of a very well-known, about to run for president, United States senator, who on most issues is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from most evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was asked to come and spend a few minutes with him. And I did in the context of all of this and, and gave him a copy of my book, the hospitable leader. I've had a long time relationship with this U S Senator. And I talked, here's the bottom line. I talked to both groups about exactly the same thing. I -hmm. talked about our need to be hospitable to one another because there is such a need mm. for a tone of civility in our country where it doesn't mean that one can't have a strong political opinion, but the way we express it, Henry Nouwen said, we need to move from hostility to hospitality. Mm-hmm. The apostle Paul said that what Jesus had done was so powerful that the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile had been torn down. And he essentially is saying, if Jew and Gentile can sit at the same table, then any two people or two people groups can sit at the same table. And my message is, we, and pardon me for sounding preaching here, we desperately, we desperately need to be able to sit down at the, at the table with people with whom we have tremendous disagreements and at least have adult conversations around them. Nothing's going to change. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was an incredible answer. Um, that, that, that answered the question beautifully. Hey, uh, Terry, I think that's about all the time we've got now. Is there anything else that particularly you wanted to get across before we wrap up the interview? Oh, I'm just disappointed that we're almost finished. I'm enjoying this. You have. We are too. Seriously. You should see all the notes we've written down. (laughs) (laughs) You have crushed this. Oh, thank you so much. You're very, very kind. I had been told I was going to get to hear Ashley sing, but I guess that's (laughs) that's in the intro or the outro. So when I listen to the podcast, that's the (laughs) thing I look forward to the most. Can I ask you one more question, Terry? 
I, I, I have most of the afternoon. Okay, you are a, you are a longtime New Jersey boy. Um, so I, my question for you is this. What is your favorite Bruce Springsteen song? I'm gonna, I am going to disappoint you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess, I guess it would have to be "Born to Run." Do you know that one, Ash? I know who Bruce Springsteen is, but I do not know that song. I don't oh know. wow! What do you think, uh, Terry? Maybe you could hum a bar for us. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so, so here's part. Here's part of my story. I grew up in Indiana. Okay. And and so I'm a New Jersey transplant. I've been here 27 years. Most people are so disappointed. I don't have a New Jersey accent, and yeah. I did not pick up the Bruce Springsteen fever that so many people here have, especially people my age. So yeah. I, I, I didn't even know that, that I could sing it, but it, but if I, <laughs> if I remembered it, I probably could sing it better than, well, I don't it, know. There's a line that leads in that says, tramps like us. <laughs> Baby, we were born to run, something like that. <laughs> yes, yes, ah, Terry. Hey, Terry, where can people pick up a copy of your book? Um, I probably just blew that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so they can visit terryasmith.com slash orange. Yep. Join our new hospitable leader community. That's terryasmith.com forward slash orange. And when they visit that page, they can re receive free access to a preview of the book. And, but or, or they can just learn more about the book by going to hospitableleader.com. Okay, that's great. That's and awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll make sure that's in the show notes for everybody who's listening. Also, I'm sure that because of the way you talked about uh, the leadership in your church, I'm sure people would love to find out a little bit more about uh, the Life Christian Church as well. Can you tell us uh, what's the website there? TLCC.org. That's thelifechristianchurch.org. TLCC.org. Awesome. Thank it's you. Awesome. So, that's great. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for being on today's episode. And just seriously, you took us to school. I know. On leadership and on the Bible and in servanthood and, and hospitality and welcoming. Thank you so much. I'm sure that all of our listeners have gotten a lot, a lot out of what you shared today. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Thank you for being so hospitable to me. <laughs> well, well played. Thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Well, what did I tell you, folks? Awesome content today. Terry A. Smith, so insightful, so wise. He taught me a whole bunch of new stuff about the Bible that I wasn't aware of, and especially that idea that the hospitable leader can create environments where people's dreams flourish. I mean, that was some great stuff. Hey, I really hope that you got a lot out of today's episode. If you did, we would love it if you could duck across to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. This is super helpful for us because it helps get the word out to more people and it just means that additional church leaders can listen to this sort of content on a regular basis. So please do that. That would be absolutely fantastic. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. You can do that at Apple Podcasts as well. You can do it at Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And hey, if you loved this episode so much that you weren't even able to take notes or maybe you're driving, listening on your commute to church or something along those lines, and you want to figure out, hey, what was it? 
it that uh, Terry said or what was it that Reggie said or what was that competition that Aussie Dave gave away to the 2019 uh, Orange Conference where you just had to follow him on Instagram at Aussie Dave, A-U-S-S-I-E Dave and leave a comment on one of his posts that says the Orange Conference. What was that about? You can go to the show notes. You can find them at thinkorangepodcast.com, thinkorangepodcast.com and make sure you also share this episode with a friend so that maybe they can get a chance to win two tickets to the 2019 Orange Conference as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This was episode 75 of the Think Orange podcast and I cannot wait for episode 76. Until then, when you think next generation, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. 